say you're the real Christians. See, you guys come after Easter. You don't just come for Easter. You come after Easter. Amen? Look at your other neighbor and say, I ain't no creaster. You ain't no creaster. You ain't just coming on Christmas and Easter. Amen? And if you're a visitor from Easter and you haven't been in church for a while, we love you. Don't get offended by that. But we're going to help you come to church every week because this is game day for us. Amen? This is game day for the Christian. This is where we get prepared to take on the world ahead of us. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Today we're going to talk about bitterness, taking it off and putting on forgiveness. How many need some of that today, taking off bitterness, putting on forgiveness? How many have been hurt in life before and you need to be encouraged by this? And if you have ever struggled with bitterness before, can I hear an amen? Amen. You know, when we started this sermon uh, series in the book of Ephesians, I knew we would get to the tough parts, which is where we're at right now. We started off with the, uh, the heavenly minded in chapter one. So if you're new, we're going through the entire book of Ephesians, verse by verse. We started in 2017. And we talked about how we've been saved by grace through faith, that God loves us. He can do immeasurably more in our lives than we can ever imagine. And then right around chapter four, verse 17, it moves from the heavenly minded to the earthly good. It moves moves to the place where now we have to do something about our Christianity. We don't do the things to become a Christian. We do these things because we're a Christian. Once again, what happens first? Does a child learn arithmetic, arithmetic first or do they learn or are they born first? Okay, I know I messed it up. Let me try it again. Does my child learn math first or is my child born first? Born. So what do we do first? Good works or become a Christian first? Become a Christian first. You don't do good works to try to become a Christian. And so today we're learning about uh, a section on Christian living, and I'm combining 8 and 9 together. So if you're keeping track, we're going to combine verses 31 and 32 because there are 17 things to learn about Christian living from the passage we're going to read today. So let's all open up our Bibles to Ephesians 4.17 and continue to do your homework during the week by reading Ephesians. I want to recommend you read the whole book of Ephesians. How many believe you can do that every week because it's worth it. I was listening to it yesterday on a prayer walk. Got so many good nuggies out of it. He says this, Paul writing, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their thinking. So when we talk about bitterness today, one of the things we have to understand is we're not going to think like the world does about how we've been hurt in life. They are darkened in their own understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So if you want to have a good picture of what the Bible thinks about sinners or what we were like without Christ, we're without the life of God, we're ignorant, and we're hard-hearted. Okay, that's not a politically correct description, but that's what the Bible thinks about sinners right now. They're ignorant, they're separated from the life of God, and they have a hard heart. So if you ever find yourself talking to somebody who seems ignorant, they have a hard heart, and they are totally separated from what you're on, chances are they're lost on their way to hell, okay? But we've all been there as sinners, and we have repented. That's who we used to be. Okay, now look at what it says, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. That means to live by your senses, what you taste, smell, see, hear, and feel, the five senses of the body. They've given themselves over to sensuality, so, indulge, so to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. So the sermon series is in Him, and that means in Jesus. Some may say in Jesus. Thank you. Now, I know as your pastor here that I can speak to you as Paul did to his people and say, you have not been taught to be hard-hearted. You have not taught to be ignorant. You have not been taught to remain separate. You've been taught to live for Jesus. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. This is what we've been taught. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. What is bitterness? It's a deceitful desire. You will think this is how I should feel. I deserve to be bitter. You don't know, pastor, what they did to me. It is a deceitful desire. No different than lust. No different than greed. No different than thinking 
speaking, telling a lie is the right thing to do. Bitterness is just as much of a sin as all the other sins of hate and anger and lying and stealing. Don't be deceived by bitterness. Now let me just pause here and say this. If you remember when we got into the Christian living section of the book of Ephesians, I went on my knees. I did it in both services, and I had someone from the church, an elder, pray for me that I could preach these right. And because I got on my knees, what I was saying was, is God help me to explain this to them through even my own personal life. So I'm actually going to tell you today how I was deceived by bitterness. I got hooked by bitterness, and it was the worst time of my Christian life, and it lasted the longest over any sin that I've ever dealt with as a Christian. So I want you to take this very serious today. This can happen to pastors. This can happen to old people. We're not supposed to be afraid of sin. We're to fear God. But I am here to warn you today. Deception loves to give us bitterness. Deception will tell you it is okay. And when we talk about the spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, fighting the spirits of the enemy and the attacks he sends against us, I believe bitterness is one of his main attacks. So I want you to hear this. We're to take off our old self, which includes bitterness. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness, true righteousness and holiness. Who were you created to be like? God, created to be like God. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So I believe, as we're going to see in just a few moments, that many of us who struggle with anger do so from a place of bitterness. That literally, bitterness is the root of your anger. We're going to talk about that. And I can tell you for me, much of my anger in life has been rooted in bitterness. And when I walked around the most angry, when I was the most unhealthy in my emotions, it was because I was bitter. And I gave the devil a foothold. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And let's get this, bitterness will have you use your words in an unwholesome way. So bitterness has a lot to do with how we live as a Christian, or rather how we don't live as a Christian when we're supposed to be following the example of Christ. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Bitterness grieves God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now let's read our passage for today. Verse 31 and 32, 1, 2, 3, get rid of all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Ooh, come on, somebody. I want you to look at these two verses and probably why I brought them together. Uh, this is what I saw in verses 31 and 32. I saw two bookends. Two polar opposites. 31 starts with bitterness. 32 ends with forgiveness. I think there's a message there. I think there's a message there. Come on, somebody. Bitterness is the opposite of forgiveness. If you want to live the Christian life, you have to learn how not to be bitter, but to be better. You have to learn to know who you are in God and trust God's plan for your life. If you think being a Christian means you will never be offended, you will never be hurt, you will never be bothered in that way, you are absolutely wrong. But you can be bitterness free. You can be free from the spirit of offense. It is your choice. It's not what people do to you that makes a difference. It's how you respond. And I know you've heard that before from people like Will Smith or Goldcast or these different Facebook videos, but they have no foundation for that belief system. The Bible provides us the foundation of freedom from bitterness, okay? So the Christian has a reason not to be bitter, but to be better. And that's because we are 
are to look to Christ and his example of him forgiving us. And so if you see what bitterness does, bitterness in this sense, because it already spoke about anger above. It already said, don't let the sun set on your anger. You know, don't do these things. But right here, it, it goes through it again. And I believe it's because bitterness is the root to the fruit of rage and anger. Bitterness is the root to the fruit of brawling and slander along with every form of malice, which means evil against somebody. And as well as on the polar opposite side, forgiveness is the root of compassion and kindness. If you can't forgive somebody, you're never going to be kind to them. You're never going to be compassionate to them. And so if you think you're just going to start off by being kind, start off by being compassionate, and then forgive, you'll never get there. But if you start off with forgiveness, you'll get to kindness every time. If you start off with forgiveness, you'll get to compassion every time. Are you tracking with me? Now, I just wish, you guys got to help me with this. I just wish there was a story of somebody in the Bible who was done like really wrong. Really, I'm talking like really, really wrong, but then he forgave his enemies. Man, I just wish because I would talk about it today like an example. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody who was done wrong because there's a lot of people right now I know you're sitting next to that say they've been done wrong and you just don't understand, Pastor. It's not that easy, you know, and it's, it's something for you to say it on Sunday, but I got to deal with it on Monday. I just wish that when I hear those excuses, I could just say like, you need to be like, you know, what's that person's name? You need to be like Who? Jesus, you mean really there's a person in the Bible that was done wrong and didn't deserve it, was done wrong like on the level of molestation wrong, like rape wrong, rejection wrong, like, like slavery wrong, like someone was done on that level of wrong, Jesus, and he forgave you mean that's my example? I think some of you all need to catch that heavy revy right now. Come on, somebody. Amen. Get it. Jesus is your example. So there is not one person here that could say, Pastor, you don't know my pain. Because Jesus says, I do know your pain. He took it on the cross. He took that sin on the cross that has now made your soul bitter. He took it. He not only was done wrong himself, but on the cross, something supernatural happened. Jesus became sin for us and identified with all the rape, with all the murder, with all the child molestation, with all the rejections, with all the divorces gone wild, with all the manipulation, with all of the oppression. Jesus experienced it. And on behalf of not just those who crucified him, but on behalf of all of mankind and all of our sins and oppressions we've done to others, he said, Father, forgive them. Them. Capital them. Are you listening? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. From Hitler to your absent dad. Come on, somebody. From the jerk in front of you in traffic to your boss that keeps scheduling you at the wrong times. I'm saying everything was on that cross, and Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because they don't understand the reality of hell. They don't understand the reality. Yeah, Hitler knew what he was doing. He was good at being a madman, right? No, but the idea is they don't understand this will damn them in a literal hell. Because if they would see what it was and what heaven was and what they were trading, no one would do such a thing. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And here the example says, be kind and compassionate one another, forgiving each other, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. The Bible says, uh, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus says, 70 times seven. 490 times. Now that doesn't mean sin doesn't have consequences. Sin has consequences. I may forgive you, file charges, and come visit you in jail and start a Bible study with you, okay? But, but I have to still forgive you. And that's what we always say in our church. If you are in danger, if someone's doing something against the law, report them now. We are a mandated report. You can come to us. 
You can come to us. We are here for you. We will get you out of that situation. An abusive spouse or a child being hurt or your life being threatened, any of those things, we will help you today. See one of us at the end of, of the service. And that has broken my heart over the years as I've helped primarily teenagers and, and battered women. I'm telling you today, there's still consequences for those people, but we must even forgive our enemies. Even our enemies. Even those, Jesus said, who despitefully use you. They use you out of spite. They don't even care about you. Even them forgive as Christ in God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, and it's not just a list he's going to name here, it's even the things we talked about, so even a bitter person has to hear this. For of this you can be sure, nor immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No rageful person, no bitter person, no malicious person. Do you get that? The, the, the things he's telling us not to do all fit into the list of when you do them, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 6 it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't even deceive yourself saying, it's okay. It's okay, I'm angry at this person the way I am. It's okay, I'm malicious towards them. It's okay, it's not really that bad. They deserve it. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. I think about my children, you know, we have five of them, and when they're downstairs playing and they're, you know, doing things in the basement, all of a sudden you'll hear like a loud boom, you'll hear like a scream, and, you know, and then we got to run down there and see what happened. Some are getting timeouts, some are getting the does, others are getting ice cream cones because they did the right thing, you know, it's like, I'm so glad you didn't slap her back, good job, you're the one that slapped, you're the one going here, now timeout, and, and all these things happen. How much more so when God comes to the planet and says, I'm sorting this out, I'm taking care of this situation. I'm doing this. See, the Bible says that we should trust him even in our sufferings because he's a good judge. So it's not what we're it's not like we're saying Hitler's good or slave masters are good or bad bosses are good or, or spouses who cheat on you are good. No, there's going to be consequences. What we're saying is I forgive them for their sin and I'm going to let God the judge deal with them. I'm going to let God the judge deal with them, right? Because here's the deal. If the cross is not a place where you put their sins, you can't put your sins on that cross. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So if you want to hold on to their sins, you're going to be holding on to yours too. And you won't inherit the kingdom of God. So no, the wrath of God comes on people who are like this. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So we once used to think this way, but that's not in the way how we're thinking now. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You want a summary of what it looks like to be a Christian. That's what you are. You're good, you're righteous, and you live by the truth of God. Amen? Can I hear an amen? You're good, you're righteous, and you live by the truth of God. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, so we shouldn't glorify in their sin. And everything that's exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. Somebody say, I'm the light of the world. Amen. Thank you. That's why it said, wake up, sleep, or rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When I got set free from bitterness as a Christian, it was literally like I got born again again. I got freedom. And today, if I can help anybody by these words to give you that freedom, I want you to hear me today when we talk about it because it will literally feel like you're rising up from the dead. You will literally feel like you've been born again, again. And you may say, it's not, it's not possible for my situation. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. For every one of our hurts here today, it is possible that Christ can give us a new life. 
He says, be very careful then not how you live. Uh, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. How many love to worship Jesus in here? Come on, we thank the band for all they do. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. How many things? Everything. Thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to see today is the simplicity of this message. And then the remaining time, I'm going to tell you a story about my life and how bitterness surprised me and got a hold of my heart. Let's look at Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of. Get rid of all bitterness. If you had anthrax in your house, what would you do with it? Get rid of it, right? If you had a poisonous snake in your house, what would you do? What would you do? And to get rid of it, right? You would get rid of it. If you had a bully around you, what would you do? Get rid of them. If you had a poisonous tree in your yard, what would you do with it? Get rid of it. So what are you supposed to do with all bitterness? Get rid of it. Are you supposed to keep some? Is it okay to be a little bit bitter? Because if, you know, somebody would just understand really what you went through, then it would just be okay to keep this little bit. No, get rid of all your bitterness. Get rid of all your rage, all your anger, all your brawling, all your slander, along with every form of malice. I believe uh, Hebrews represents either a written tradition of Paul or an oral tradition of Paul. Whether we know for sure it's Paul, we can't say, but the early church thought it was Paul, and they combined Hebrews with the New Testament writings of Paul. Listen to what he said to the Hebrews, to the people who were Jewish, in Hebrews 12, 15, about how serious bitterness is. He said, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause you to trouble and to defile many. Do you see that right there? He's talking to Christians, and he says, I want to make sure you understand this. I don't want to see any of you fall short of the grace of God, fall short of it. So imagine you see these Facebook videos. They're funny. Somebody's running the race. They're getting towards the end, and then they fall. And it's like you fell short of the finish line. That is the illustration Paul is saying. But this is where some of us miss it. We think that we're doing good works to go to heaven, and if we do one bad work, we'll go to hell or something. No, no, no. Here's the deal. The grace of God is what gives forgiveness. I don't get forgiveness for how fast I run or how good of a Christian that I am. I get forgiveness because of Jesus and his blood alone by the grace of God. But here's the deal. It's free, costs Jesus everything, but here's the deal. I have to forgive to receive the free gift of forgiveness. So I literally can fall short of the gift, the grace there means gift. Bitterness is. God, because I won't let you have that gift. That is how serious bitterness is. Bitterness literally says, I'm not forgiving you because you don't deserve it. And then God looks at you and says, then I'm not forgiving you because you don't deserve it. But the one who says, I will forgive as I've been forgiven is the one that gets to see heaven, the grace of God, all of these wonderful things. And then notice the next thing. It literally says here that bitterness is like a root. I was walking yesterday in my neighborhood. And I saw this huge tree where the roots came up out of the ground and even went over the concrete and seemed to get together with the concrete. Like it was almost like the concrete and the root were now one. And these, these roots were huge and they were big and they were hard. And I started to think to myself, where did this tree come from? A small little seed that at one time its roots were probably just thin little paper thin little strings going down into the dirt. But it kept growing, didn't it? And as it grew, it got stronger. And because when that bitter root grows, it causes trouble and defiles many. He's wanting you to think to yourself that it starts off small. Every bitter person I know, including myself when I dealt with bitterness, had a reason to be bitter. They are not bitter because they're stupid. Every story you hear from a bitter person will cause you to have empathy. When I tell you my story in a little bit, you'll be like, I want to go smack that person. You'll be like, I'm angry. You will feel it. And it's the same thing with every bitter person I've ever talked to. You see, bitterness is connected to the idea of I'm 
hurt. It's connected to the idea of somebody did me wrong. And here's the problem where it turns from justice to bitterness is bitterness now says they don't deserve forgiveness. They did this, that equals unforgiveness. Tell you other story. Everybody who hears my story, and if I had time to tell you other story, would, would agree this was wrong. It's wrong. You don't treat people like this. You don't do things like this. People here have been abandoned by their parents. People here have been molested and abused. I had Iris, one of our deacons, testify at the end. She lived with her stepdad who was a sexual abuser till she was an adult. And the time she had enough courage to tell her mother, her mother said, deal with it. He pays the bills. How many know she has a right to be angry? She does. That sin can equal anger. That sin can equal justice. That sin can equal that person going to jail. But what it doesn't equal is unforgiveness. Because what it does is become the poison we drink. Bitterness literally comes in the Hebraic language as my brother and his family were celebrating Sadar. Things literally comes from bitter, bitter things. Acidic things, things you don't want to eat. That's why it works in the cooking industry. Bitter, this thing tastes bitter. And the idea is that's what bitterness is like to your soul, but it doesn't stay there just as something sour or something distasteful. It grows. Bitterness grows, and it causes trouble, and it defiles some. It defiles some, just a few. It says it defiles many. Many people have been defiled by bitterness. I was the most radical person I knew, and I was defiled by bitterness. I was a Christian. Some of the strongest people I know, when they fall into other sins, the root came from bitterness. Pastors who felt they deserved better from the church, and since they didn't get it, they were going to finally take their turn at sinning a little bit now with the secretary because, hey, everybody else just sins in my church. They don't come. They don't pay their... Sounds bitter. I live for the devil a little bit just like them. Doesn't that just sound bitter? Sounds bitter. I know people who killed themselves out of bitterness. Weren't planning on it the morning they did. Weren't planning on taking a gun to their head, but they got so angry, so upset in the fight that they were in with their spouse and their kids. Nobody loves them. Bitterness will defile you, and it works its way right through these things. It will turn to rage and anger. The Bible says you can be angry and sin. Not Jesus was angry. There's a, a plenty of passages where we've talked about before where you can be angry. It's, it's okay to be angry at injustice, but what we don't do is have unsanctioned anger. One time they weren't listening to Jesus, and James and John, the two brothers, said, Hey, should we call down fire? Let's burn them now. And Jesus said, No, no, no. You, we're not doing that now. Judgment will come, but it's not now. Mercy, mercy, tears now, brokenness now. But you see, bitterness says judgment now. They suffer now. They feel what I feel now. They deserve it. Brawling. You see it in the movies. Maybe some of you have experienced it. It's the typical person at the bar. Get out of my face. Give me another beer. Cool off. No, who are you to tell me? Why are they there? Because their girlfriend broke up with them. Why are they there? Because their life sucks. And now they got a tear in their beer and they're ready to fight everybody. You talk to most people who like to fight in life, not for the sport of it, but I'm talking fights with random strangers just because they deal with bitterness. People in traffic, they're bitter. They hate their job. They don't like their life. They're bitter. Slander. Some of you say, well, I'll never fight, Pastor. I'll never do that. But you, do you use your words? Because out of your bitterness, you justify just talking about them, talking about them, saying things about them. And yes, it may be true. It may be true. But you do it in a way to continually damage them. It's not so you can have somebody pray with you. You're not going on Jerry Springer so that your mom and you can have a prayer. I mean, you're going there to just slander her, right? You're going there to do that. Or you're saying that to your coworker about come on, boss, not so the company can be better, but so that you can damage the boss's reputation. We've all been there. Come on, somebody. And then malice. You just want evil for that person. You say it as a joke. Well, why don't you just go jump off a bridge? We say it as jokes like that. But we, we mean it in some sense, don't we? 
I don't want you in my life anymore. Good thing it happened to them. They deserve it. You ever talk like that? Well, they deserve it. They deserve that to happen. What goes around comes around. Karma's a, hello. Y'all act like you don't know those words. Come on. Come on. We, we, we take pride in watching people suffer, like as if we're their judge and we're so perfect. And now we're just going to point our finger and say, see, I told you. Yeah, are there repercussions? There are. But remember, it's tears and brokenness. When I hear about one of the children in my youth group that died of gangs and then of violence, I don't say, see, I told them. Told all them kids. Told them where they would go, too, when they die. No, tears come down my eyes. Brokenness. Don't want evil for them. I don't want evil even for those who have done evil to you. I know they've done the evil, but I don't want evil to happen to them. My prayer is that even if they're the worst person in the world, like a Hitler, and maybe even like the person that was the thief on the cross, my prayer is that at least one day they'll accept Jesus and be with them in paradise. Now, because they've wasted their life, they won't have as many good works and rewards. They'll be our janitors up there, praise God. And they'll get to see those who live for Jesus and the kingdom to come. We'll be faithful to rule over much. They'll have a little bit, but I still want them to be up there. Amen? You all don't understand the kingdom of God. Don't you understand there'll be Christians up there with a little bit. They'll be there, but they'll have a little bit. You're like, there's Hitler. He just asked Jesus into his heart while his brain was bleeding out. He's our janitor in the kingdom. Corey Tim Boone had people in her house in the Netherlands uh, during the time of the, the Holocaust. Her family eventually got caught. They were sent to concentration camps. Many of them died. She and her sister were the only ones that survived. And eventually, I think her sister died. She always talked about forgiveness, and she knew it was part of her Christian life. But she says as a grown woman, it took another step of faith to forgive when she met someone from the concentration camp of where her family had died. She said she couldn't even look at the person. She had to move away when they wanted to introduce her to him and say, he's now a Christian. He wants to meet you, and he wants to apologize. There's a whole story behind it. She couldn't even meet with him at first. Here was a woman that had already thought she had forgiven her whole life, that she was ready for such a moment, and yet she had to be challenged at that moment. Do I really want to offer this, this war criminal forgiveness? We don't want evil. We want good. Amen? You, you ever hear that in the Lord's Prayer? For, Father, forgive our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Well, you know why that's so important? Because we're supposed to take on the example of Jesus. So we put on compassion and kindness. We forgive each other just as Christ forgave us. What's kindness? It's being friendly and gentle. But can you do that with hate in your heart? No, you got to forgive first. Can you care about other people's suffering? No, you can't do that until you forgive first. And that's why I call these the bookends, even though forgiveness comes at the end, but I believe it's the foundation for how we do the other things. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, just in case we would have forgotten it, because it kind of goes by fast, you, you know, fast, forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who have trespassed against us, and then we say, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, and amen. Jesus goes, amen, and everybody goes, amen, and he goes, okay, now listen. Let me say this again to you. Verse 14 of chapter 6. Let me get you guys' attention here. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, now go and pray that prayer. You know, you could just see Jesus stopping there going, hey, I want to make sure you get that little sentence there. And I'll say it again. If you won't let Jesus take the sins of your enemies, he won't take yours. This is the sad part. I want everybody to get this because we have a jailhouse ministry kind of in this church. We get a lot of people out of jail. And uh, now they're serving God. You might be sitting next to them, run right, one of them right now. You won't even know, right? And uh, you know what's just crazy? This is, let me just tell you what's so crazy. Is the people who actually abused you and hurt you may find Jesus and be forgiven and you'll go to hell. Because you did it the wrong way. You'll miss the grace of God. Wouldn't that just be terrible? You have, a, you have a, just a horrible life because of what evil people did to you. You just suffer in this. It wasn't even good for you. You didn't even get to live out the music video. I mean, just imagine, you're just life, you're, your life was terrible. And then because you're so bitter because of it, now you go to hell. This is the illustration Jesus is giving us. So the idea of this person certainly doesn't deserve to go there, God's going to say, you don't deserve to go there either. The idea is since you were forgiven, 
Since you were given something you did not earn, give it to others. And then Jesus takes the entire, uh, gives us a parable that takes almost an entire chapter that talks about a guy who was forgiven of a huge debt, but he wouldn't forgive somebody who owed him just mere pennies. And then he shakes that guy down and says, since you can't pay me back, I'm going to throw you into jail. And then the king, the ruler, who hears that he's forgiven this guy of millions of dollars and he can't even forgive of pennies, says, now you're going to go to jail and you'll be there even longer because you owe me more. The idea is you've been forgiven of much. No matter how we look at it in our perspective, we'll never get it. I know this is hard. Everybody get this. I know this is hard. But theologically, which I believe is true, You could never sin against uh, another person, or another person could never sin against you as much as you sinned against God. I know in our mind, it's just, well, Pastor, I've really not done that bad of stuff compared to what Hitler did, or Mussolini, or Stalin, or Che, or all these revolutionaries who killed their innocent people. Um, By the way, Che wasn't a good guy, just to let you know that. Okay? Uh, Some of you think he was, but he's on the same level of those dictators and Fidel Castro and others, anyways. Uh, People, right? Chairman Mao, all these dictators and kings that oppressed people, right? You say, oh, no, I've never done that much sin against God. I mean, they've killed millions of people. Listen, everybody look up at me, please. God told us that parable through Jesus Christ, his son, for a reason. Listen, listen. Your sin against God is greater than what anybody could do to you. That's up to you whether you believe that. Because you will hold on to your bitterness thinking, I, I just, I, I would never do that. I can't, see. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I believe in the death penalty, folks. I do. Some people say, how can you believe sin, uh, abortion is murder, not the death penalty? It's easy. This one's innocent, that one's guilty. Kill the guilty person. The innocent child deserves to live. Do you understand? That innocent child has done nothing. This person touched a child. You die. Here, here's your last rights. I'm giving you a chance to meet Jesus. So I believe in the justice system being done correct, okay? But track with me here. Even the most hideous thing, I will never do that, this and that. You've sinned against your holy God who is perfect and who has, and you've been ungrateful. And, all, and you've lied and you've stolen and you've taken his name in vain and you've been lazy and you've been ungrateful. And all of these things Jesus said on purpose so that you would get the revelation. It's not like the parable only applies to some of us. No, he said, all of y'all, all of y'all, let me tell you what you're like. That's what Jesus is doing. He said, let me tell you what you're all like. You're all like somebody that had a billion-dollar debt, and it was forgiven. That's what it's like with me and you. I forgive you of the billion. And when you don't forgive the one who sinned against you, no matter how bad it was, it's like they owe you pennies. That's your Jesus. He said, not to justify the abuse. I'm going to say it again because abusers will say, well, forgive me, I won't do it again. You forgive them, call the cops, put them in jail, and say, now show me you won't do it again. So we're not letting abusers get away with it. Well, just forgive me, just forgive me. You know? No, 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 this is how we forgive. We put you in jail. Now watch this, though. Even to that wicked, violent person, this is what Jesus says, if you don't forgive them, Jews in the Holocaust, if you don't, Forgive the soldiers of Auschwitz. You will not be forgiven. How much more serious could he have made it? He said it in parables. He told us in black and white, or what we would say in red, because it's the letters of, in the words of Jesus in the King James, right? They would do red so it would stand out. That's what the Christian life is like. How many want to live the Christian life? So make a decision today with me. To always guard your heart against bitterness and just FEMO, baby. Forgive them and move on. I'm not saying what they did was right. I'm just saying you got to forgive them if you want to move on. Because if you take the past with you, the past will go wherever you go. Some people say, I'm going to move away to a different state. You know the problem with that? You go there. You still will be in that other state. States don't change your life. States don't change. Jesus changes hearts. Are you listening? Let me close now with a, a, a deep personal story. One of us has the chance to be bitter. So let me just say this at the beginning. Every single one of us has the chance to be bitter in life because we all experience hurt. My bitter story to you, like I said from the beginning, make pale to some of yours. I just had at the end one of the sensational stories of our first service, Iris. 
telling her story. I was abused. My mom said it was okay. I mean, it's just crazy. But I forgave. You know, it's so powerful, right? Mine's not going to sound anything like that. But I want you to understand there's not different parts of hell. I would have missed the grace of God if just this little thing wasn't dealt with because that little bitter thing in my heart, it grew up pretty fast and pretty big. Because bitterness will grow and it will defile many. And it doesn't matter if it starts with a boss at work, a coworker, or you having the living hell of your life as a child under the abuse of somebody. It just, it starts all the same. And the devil, he just loves to throw it out there to see where it sticks. Because I have a book here, The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. I recommend it for those who want to study this more. Bible college. Well, sees we grab a hold of it. He just keeps throwing it out and throwing it out. So I'm in Bible college. 20 years old, called to do ministry. I had a, a calling to plant churches at a vineyard conference, and that's what brought me to Bible college. I, that's my dream. I'm going to plant churches. I had a hero of the faith. His name was David Hogan. I saw him come to our church. You know, this is even before I went to Bible college, and I knew in my heart that I needed to go work with him to learn how to church plant to go do things in Mexico. Uh, he's in Mexico, kind of like towards the bar border there of Central America, working with indigenous people, over 300 churches planted. Awesome guy, uh, just really passionate for God. And so I want to do this. I go to Bible college. At the end of our first year, the president says, I want to start a new youth ministry, so I want everybody just to write out their callings, and I'm going to pray about who to have join the ministry. So I write out my calling. I'm called to plant churches, starting with the foreign mission field. I felt like I was going to go there and get trained and come back. I didn't think I was going to live there forever. I just wanted to go see it where it was the hardest and the most rawest. They would tell stories about taking their Jeep all the way into the jungles and sleeping on the floor. I mean, it was just, and, and he says, I'm going to go do that. I'm writing that down. And uh, he calls me and my best friend, Juan Gonzalez, in, and he says, guys, I picked you two to start this program next year. And here's the reason why I did it, because I was looking for whoever was like, their heart was burning for youth, and like they wrote about the youth and their calling, that's why I was looking over. And, and I said, I said, Pastor, I didn't even write anything about youth. I specifically put on there that I want to go plant churches. He said, you know, that's different. He said, I just felt for you, you should be here. And I go, okay, I trust you. I said, but I just want to make it clear, this is not my calling. I'll serve him. I'll serve him. I'll be with him. I'll do whatever he needs. About the first semester, first couple months of the second year of Bible college, as we're starting it, we're in charge of students, getting the budget, all these things. Juan drops out of Bible college. So the whole entire thing just falls apart right there. Boom. President comes to me. He says, will you lead it? I said, sure, I'll lead it. Just want you to know this is not my calling. This is not what I'm supposed to do. I've shared with you what I'm supposed to do. I had it before I even came here. I've told you what I want to do. I want to go work with David Hogan. So that whole entire second year, I'm making connections in inner city. We're doing these things with the kids, or, you know, having an awesome time. But at the same time, I'm making connections with David Hogan's ministry. I'm meeting with him whenever he comes to Louisiana, talking to his guys. I'm filling out the paperwork. We come right to the end of the year. All I need is my president's signature or a, a, a recommendation form to go to this missionary, and I'm ready to go. I meet with him. I say, it's been a great year. Ministry's been great. I just need you to sign this. I want to go work with David Hogan. He looked at me, and he said, you are a hireling if you think you're going to leave here now. You don't love these kids. You don't care about these kids. He said, I'm not signing this. I've lost all respect for you. I'll lose all respect for you if you leave here now and go do this. you got to understand, I'm just 22 years old. I've told him from the beginning what my calling was. I said I'm serving for the season, and now he's got me hooked in there and tells me, if I leave now, I am nothing to the school. I'm nothing to him. I'm a hireling, and he won't even recommend me to the mission group. Out of the fear of man, I do it. I stay, and I work as hard as I can. I joined a denomination that I had no desire to ever join. I never cared. This guy was non-denominational, David Hogan. I never had any desire to work with these guys, but that's what he told me to do. And over time, I began to get bitter. And I began to just resent what I was doing. And I just thought it was just between me and the school, or I mean me and the president, so it's okay. So Brother Anthony 
is my main guy at the school. We're good. So I still hang around the school. The president leaves. He goes to another state. I'm hanging out with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony was kind of that soft shoulder guy. And listen to me, all broken relationships, you know what I'm talking about. There's that person that kind of holds it together. Maybe mom's the buffer for dad because dad's way out there. Or there's a sibling that's the buffer for the rest of your siblings because there's a troubled relationship. You know what I'm talking about. There's those buffers. So Brother Anthony was that buffer. And it was like, okay, I can deal with it as long as Brother Anthony's got my back. Well, one day, so small, such a small little thing, we do a big outreach. It was SUM's outreach. My trucks of food, it wasn't enough for the the Magnolia Projects to where the hot boys were from. They brought like four semi-trucks of food. It wasn't enough for the people there. And I just spoke up, because at this time I'd been doing the church work for maybe about a year or two. And I said, we got the money. We'll take it off your hands. We'll buy it, and we'll put it in a storage place, and then I'll give it out. I don't know how this bothered this one professor at the school, but it did to the point where he resented me. He said, Joe's trying to show off. He tried to make us look bad because it was in a leadership meeting. He's like, what are we going to do? And I was like, I'll buy it. Oh, you look at him, you know. And Brother Anthony took that professor's side. And I'll never forget where I was. Almost tears coming down my, my eyes now. Such a little thing. i never forget where I was. I was on the, the hairline of just throwing away my relationship with the school. And I was standing in the back parking lot, and Brother Anthony turned on me. And he said, you go up there and tell this guy you're sorry because I've been hearing that you think you're so that and this and this and that. And he said, you know what? I think you're prideful, this and that. And I want to tell you what, man, I just went off. I just got so angry. I said, this guy's a jerk. This guy's an idiot. He doesn't care about you guys. He's just a hireling brother. He's a real. He ever worked with you. He doesn't care about you. Eventually, this guy became the Judas to, to Brother Anthony. He was the hardest person he ever worked with, had to fire him. All that came true. But watch. And then I started yelling at him. And I said, you guys, you guys stay here. You're in the suburbs. I live in the inner city. You guys do nothing for these people. I come out. I try to help. And then you call me a This guy called me a hire. You say I'm not good enough. I said, forget all of you guys. Forget all of you guys. Okay? Sounds so small, doesn't it? Sounds so small. Oh, but the devil said, I got him now. See, how do you get into the heart of a young minister that's on fire for God? You can't come with Bourbon Street because I'm not going down there. You can't come with sex, money, and drugs because I've already been there, done that. What you do is you get him to feel he's right. See, I'm right. And I remember, man, I just remember people would talk to me about the Bible cows. I say, forget them. Those guys are jerks. They don't care about nobody. They'll use you. They'll manipulate you. I remember one time just spewing out the venom to my mom one day because she's like, have you been by the school just being a nice Christian mom? Have you been by there to say, Mom, I'm never going by there. And I literally remember my mother being for me. Pull me back. She said, well, Joe, they did some good things. No, they did nothing for me. Nothing. Now, here's the problem. You see, bitterness grows. It doesn't stay there. My friend came to visit me about two years into the church, best friend Wayne Northrup, and all of a sudden he put a mirror on me that I had not seen, and I didn't like what he said. He said, Joe, he said, dude, you're not the same guy that I knew. You're not fun to be with. You treat these people like crap. Talking, We were at Cafe Du Monde in downtown New Orleans eating beignets with my staff there. And he, said, he looked right at me and pointed at them. He wasn't afraid. He said, you treat them like crap. You're an angry person. And he said, I don't know what's wrong with you, but there is something wrong. What had happened was over those year and a half, two years, is I became bitter and bitter and bitter and angry and rageful. And I didn't know why I was so angry all the time. You see, it was defiling me. It was taking more than I thought it would. And then by Argentina came down. So mercy, I was at a pastor's conference with about 2,000 people. from The, the brothers from Argentina came down. Sergio Scatolini, Cesar, uh, Carlos Anacondia, uh, Claudio Frazon. They had come down to do a conference with pastors. And I remember one of the brothers was speaking, Claudio Frazon. He was speaking, and he said, Pastors, I know that many of you deal with bitterness. He said, because I used to. And he said, some of it has to do with the way people in the church have treated you. Others have to do, others, you're hurt because of how others treated you, and they were above you. He said, but here's the thing. You will miss the grace of God if you don't repent of this bitterness. And and I I was justifying myself. And then he asked me this question, and I want you to ask yourself this, because we're going to be praying in just a moment. I want you to search your heart, because he said this. Here's how you'll know. Get past all the excuses. Here's how you know. Can you say, God, bless them as much as you bless me? And immediately I said to myself, I do not want them as blessed as I want to be blessed. 
I don't want them to be blessed. And then he said, if, that's, if you can't pray that, then you are bitter, and you better come up here and repent, and Jesus will meet you. He did an altar call like Kyle will do in just a few moments. My friends, I got up out of the seat in front of about 2,000 pastors and leaders, and I ran. I ran to the front to the point that he noticed me running and called me immediately on stage and said, stand here. And he could see tears were coming down my eyes. He prayed for me. I fell, went boom. But I had released it then. I forgave. And I said, I forgive them. I know they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how it affected me. They didn't know. So I came back home. And that next weekend, we had a retreat. And I knew I had to say sorry to the staff and to the people in the church. So I said sorry to everybody in the pews. If I've been a jerk to you, I'm sorry. And then I called up the staff. And one by one, I got on my knees and washed their feet. And I said, I am so sorry for letting this ruin my life and my time with you here. And they'll tell you I was bare time. No, 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 no. But then here was the deal. I was good. But Jesus told me in my prayer time, no, 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 no. What I want you to do is go tell Brother Anthony and go tell Brother George you are sorry. And I'm like, they need to tell me I'm sorry. He said, no, no, no. You're going to say sorry for slandering them. And then you're going to say you forgive them for what they did. And then he said, you trust me to do the rest. Like I said, if you have to go visit your abuser in jail, say, I forgive you, but you're going to stay here. That's fine. I had to go forgive them. Now, thankfully, when I went to go forgive, there was mutual forgiveness. Brother Anthony, by that time, had gotten so fed up with that guy, he had already fired him. And Brother George had already had about 10 other SUM students come to him and say, you were so mean to me. So I got mutual forgiveness. But you're not always promised that, right? And now from this day forward, I am telling you, you can, you can listen to my wife tell you the stories, whatever. What, it doesn't matter what happens in this church. It doesn't matter what they say about me on Facebook. Man, I am not going to get bitter over it. There are days I get tempted over it. There's days I get upset. I could tell you now stories that are a hundred times worse, at least to me, than the story I just told you. But I will not let myself get bitter because I know what it results in. And see, today, you've got to look at your life. You can't compare it to me now. You've got to look at your life and say, has that root of bitterness snuck in? And the way you do it is in just a few moments as we pray on our own, is you're going to look at your heart and you're going to ask the Lord to show you the people who have hurt you. And if you cannot pray what Jesus told you to pray, Father, forgive them. Bless them then you will have to come up here today and repent as well because God wants you to be free from bitterness. And let me just tell you this. When I got up that next day and the weeks afterwards, I'm telling you, it felt like I was born again again. And it, it changed my perspective. And you will be happy, blessed for doing it. Can I get an amen? please. Amen. At your own seats, would you close your eyes right now as we begin to pray. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? Search your heart right now by asking the Lord to show you who has hurt you in life. Who has hurt you? If there's more than one, let their names and their faces flash before you now. And say to each one, Father, forgive them and bless them now. If you cannot do that, I want you to be honest. I want you to be honest. If you cannot do that, I want you to get from your seat. I'm putting you on the spot, just like that pastor put me on the spot. If you cannot do that, I want you to come up right now. We're going to pray before we dismiss. Because I want to know how many people want to take the step that I took that day and said, I don't care. I'm not holding this in anymore. Right now, those who want to be free from bitterness, come. As we worship, we'll dismiss in just a few moments. Come right now. Come right now. You will not be embarrassed, I promise you. You will not be ashamed, I promise you. And if you're waiting for us today, just wait and worship with us. We'll get to you. But before we dismiss, we're going to check our hearts today. We're going to forgive. We're going to forgive. We're going to forgive because there is healing in forgiveness. There is transformation in forgiveness. We're not approving of what they did. We're not saying it's okay. But what we are saying is that the grace of God can cover it. The cross of Jesus was there for it. Those who want to worship with us as we're praying, would you stand up?
Raise your hands to heaven and say, I forgive as I've been forgiven. Come on, start off your worship by saying, I forgive as I've been forgiven. Those who are coming up to pray with brothers and sisters, let them pray for you. Let them love on you.